Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Uh, We've said it. We keep saying it. It is the reason we're here today. It's the reason we're alive because Jesus lives. He overcame death. He overcame sin. He lives to set us free. We're so grateful for that. If you slipped in late, uh, I I probably need to put a disclaimer out there. I did not get caught in a rainstorm, nor have I had an accident of any kind. We baptized some folks, and I got baptized in the process. So that's uh, what you're going to see on my person today. But I want to warmly welcome you. My name is Chris. I serve as the campus pastor here along with the other team members that I get to work with uh, together at Horizon West Church. And and I hope that uh, if it's your first time or you've been coming for a long time, we hope you feel at home here. In fact, we've been praying this week uh, that God would encounter you in a special way. And if it is in fact your first time, I want to extend a special welcome to you. We know there may be some who it's even your first time in a church of any kind. And if that's the case, let me put your mind at ease just a little bit. About a week and a half ago, I found myself on a golf course uh, feeling very, very out of place. A, because I don't golf. B, because it was a really nice course. And C, once I showed up, I realized I didn't have the right clothes on. And uh, the only reason I was there is because the guys that invited me are really cool and I liked them and I wanted to hang out with them. So I spent the day driving a golf cart while they golfed, but it was still a good experience. And if you showed up today and you're going, man, I don't really have the right clothes and I don't really do the church thing and I'm not really even good at this whole Christian faith thing, we want you to know you belong here. We're glad that you're here. Every single one of us started somewhere. And just like they tell me that it's possible that one day I could learn to golf, we believe That if you will attend a church like ours or one of the other good ones in the area, you can learn how to be a follower of Jesus, that you can learn how to live life more fully than what you're experiencing now. And so, welcome and thank you so much for being here. How many of you are engrossed in a series right now? Maybe Apple TV, Netflix, Hulu, something that you're watching right now. You're allowed to confess this in church. It's okay. So maybe that show is Ted Lasso or maybe it's Bel Air, or maybe you're re-watching The Office for the 138th time, but you're, you're in it. And you know that sometimes the way that they do episodes, they have to kind of say previously on, and then they quickly recap what's been happening that got us to the episode that we're in. And if you're like me, you've watched them enough, or you've binge-watched them enough that you just kind of skip right through that. Well, sometimes when you show up at church, it can feel like you're dropped in the middle of an episode for which you have no context. And nobody stops to go, hey, previously, this is where we've been. And so if you would indulge me for just a moment, I want to tell you quickly how we got to a thing called Easter Sunday morning. There was a man named Jesus who was born in a place called Bethlehem, grew up in a town not far from there called Nazareth. All of this in the nation of Israel. Spent much of his time in and around Jerusalem. And for 30 years, he lived a quiet life until it was time for him to begin a public ministry of teaching and healing, and performing miracles. 
That all happened in those last three years of his life, and because part of Jesus' ministry was to uh, rock and erode the religious power structures of the day that were keeping people in bondage, those same men turned on Jesus and had him crucified by the Romans. And three days later, a woman named Mary, one of his very closest followers, found herself at his tomb in a graveyard. And here's what happened. An angel appeared to Mary and said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He's risen, just as he said he would. I want to ask you the question, if you were to encounter Jesus, where would you expect to do so? If that question were to be answered by Jesus' first followers in this three-day period, they expected to encounter Jesus, or what was Jesus, the body, in his tomb. These were not religious people that were fabricating an, an illusion. These were people that had seen a man die, and the place that dead people go is graves. If you were to ask somebody today, where would you expect to find Jesus? Perhaps they would say, in a church service maybe in an Easter service on a Sunday morning. And while we've prayed that that would in fact be your experience today, I want to tell you that Jesus can meet you anywhere. And I want to just for the next 25 minutes or so look at three su surprising places that Jesus can be found today. These are all places that are common to the experience of every person who has ever lived, and we're going to get there by way of a passage in the Bible in Luke chapter 24. One of my favorite questions to ask when I'm meeting with people if they are married, and I get the chance because I'm a pastor to, to do this often. We'll meet in a French cafe or a Starbucks, and if I'm getting to know the couple, I like to say, so how did you meet? And usually one or both of the individuals turn bright red because they don't really want their pastor to know where they met. And I promise it's not an inquisition, I'm just curious. And so once they get past that initial embarrassment or discomfort, I begin to hear the story of how a stranger, someone they met online, someone they met in a bar or a restaurant or at their workplace, how a stranger became a person they fell in love with and ultimately a person who changed the course of their life. So in Luke 24, we see that kind of an encounter with someone that the people having the encounter don't even know who he is yet. So Luke chapter 24, you can follow along on the screen behind me. That very day, the day of Jesus' resurrection, two of his followers were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all of the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and walked with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And so he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And then they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? And the man said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our own chief priests and elders of the people delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. What is compelling to me in this story is not that it is an extraordinary encounter, but that it is remarkably unextraordinary. 
See, when Jesus shows up to these people, they're simply going from point A to point B in their normal day-to-day life. In fact, all of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances happened in places that we would not consider sacred. Places like gardens, or in a house while some people are having a meal, or at a lake while they are fishing, or here where two travelers are walking the road. Jesus intersects lives in ordinary ways and in ordinary spaces. Consider that these people, we really don't know who they are. We only get the name of one of them, and even he is not significant anywhere else in all of the Bible. So the people are common. Can I tell you that we don't even know their relationship to each other, which is always fun because Bible scholars like to debate this, but we don't know. Were they married? Were they roommates? Were they friends or co-workers? Or simply just two people walking and sharing a journey together? So they're ordinary people, and they're in an ordinary place. They're walking to Emmaus, a town we know very little about because Jesus, as far as we know, spent no time there. Didn't show up in Jerusalem or, or Rome or some important place of the day. He simply shows up to common people in a common place. And even the conversation's ordinary. If I might be so bold, it's a little awkward, <laughs> They're like, what are you talking about? You don't know what's going on. Like, it's this kind of abrasive conversation. And here's the truth I want us to cling to today. Jesus meets us in those ordinary spaces of our own lives. More than that, Jesus wants to walk with us in our common everyday life. Now, a couple things we do know about this place called Emmaus. One is that it was seven miles outside of Jerusalem, and it took a lot of digging because that was in the first verse that we read right? So that, that's there. But here's what else we know. Everything outside of Jerusalem, geographically, is lower than Jerusalem. So if you're walking out of Jerusalem to anywhere else, what you're doing is taking a long walk downward. And for these two travelers, the topography, that the landscape that they're traversing matches the interior place of their heart. They're walking downward. Jerusalem represented hope. We had hoped that he would redeem Israel. And when they left Jerusalem, it was abandoning the hope they had once had in this person named Jesus. Jesus is with us in our disappointments. I don't know that there's a more succinct way to articulate disappointment than with the words, we had hoped. Like at one point we had hoped this was true, but that hope is now gone. We might articulate this in a similar way. We might simply use the word, why? Why did it have to happen? I shared last Sunday that as my wife Nikki and I talked with our two oldest daughters about the tragic events in Nashville the week before, my wife asked my oldest daughter, she said, do you have any questions? She said, none that you can answer. And Nikki said, just try And she said, my only question is why? And and we have the same questions stirring in our own heart. Why am I this age and I still haven't found the one? Why did the one that I committed my life to cheat on me or walk away from me? Why did I get passed over for that job or the promotion that I was so deserving of? Why does my child have to struggle so profoundly and yet I can't help them? Or maybe why can I not even have children? These questions are all the same way of articulating the words we had hoped that it would be different. 
And some of you might be just honest enough in a church service on a Sunday to, in your own headspace, admit to yourself that those disappointments apply not only to life in general or to other people, but maybe even to God himself. Things like, why does God allow so much evil in the world? Why won't God deliver me from this stubborn habit or this addiction that I've asked him so many times to break in me? Why didn't God heal my mom when we prayed so fervently that he would? Or maybe the words that Jesus articulated on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus meets us right there in the middle of our disappointments. In fact, Hebrews 4 verses 15 and 16 makes us certain of that with these words. Jesus understands our weaknesses. Hey friends, go back one slide for me. (laughs) Jesus understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do and yet did not sin. So let us come boldly into the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. These two travelers that we know almost nothing about, as they walk out of Jerusalem and toward Emmaus, they're convinced that every step is taking them further from Jesus and further from hope. And what they don't yet realize is that Jesus isn't in some distant place and Jesus isn't lying in some grave. He is alive and he is present with them. When you need it most in the place of your heartache, And brokenness, Jesus is with you. Look again at Luke 24 and picking up in the middle of verse 21. These two travelers continue. They say, yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. More than that, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they didn't find his body, they came back saying they had seen a vision of angels who said that Jesus was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and they found it just the way the women had said, But him, Jesus, they didn't see. And so he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe the things the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now in these verses, we get a really interesting hint at the the thought process of these two travelers. They say, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Why would that matter to a stranger? Why why would the timeline of events matter? And here's why Jesus on multiple occasions had predicted his own death and resurrection. So for anyone that has heard from some pseudo teacher that Jesus was just a, a, a wise teacher and leader, but he was not anything more than that and never claimed to be, I can tell you confidently from the scripture, Jesus multiple times said, I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised to life. And at least three times he told them when. He said, on the third day. These individuals walking on the road to Emmaus confess that people they had trusted verified the tomb was empty and yet they still didn't believe. And as surprising as it is, Jesus is with us in our doubts. I was asking myself this question as I prepared this week, why didn't these two individuals believe? I would argue they had more evidence for a resurrection than against it. 
They had seen Jesus perform miracles. Jesus himself had even raised people from the dead. This was verified and known by his followers. And then people they trusted told them Jesus is risen. And then others went and found it the way they said. So what is it about these two individuals that prevents them from faith? What is it in our lives? What is it in your life? That when you walk right up to the threshold of faith, you just scoot back and say, I can't go there. And here is my theory. Most of our doubts are not intellectual as much as they are experiential. When we experience disappointment, space is created for doubt. Because if we can't experience God in our lives or we don't experience the goodness of God, it causes us to question what we know to be true in our heads. For me at the age of 15, just like Thomas who was baptized earlier in the service, there was an awakening of my spirit through the reading of a verse that said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And I moved from the place of being a saved person to following hard after Jesus, devouring scripture. I was even getting, as ill-advised as this probably was, opportunities to preach at 15 years old. And I'm sure God set the theology right in the minds of those who heard. But nonetheless, it was a legit experience. I was a person of faith. But then life happened. Three years later, when I was 18, my my mom died of cancer. A few years later, I was in college and experienced the end of my first serious relationship. At the age of 31, I found myself grappling with sins that were decades old that I'd prayed a thousand times for God to deliver me of. And in those moments, though nothing had changed in the reality of who God was, my circumstances had changed and disappointment creates space for doubt. Look again at Luke 24. They say it was day three And their thought process is something like this. If Jesus was going to rise, it would have already happened. For you, that might be, if God was going to lead me to a person to be a marriage partner, he would have already done so. If God was going to, to fix this issue in my husband or wife's life that we've prayed so many times, it would have already happened. And what I love about what's happening in this moment is that it had already been done. Every promise that God has ever made is either already accomplished or it's in the process of being accomplished. And what can happen is when, right when we get to the the breakthrough that God has for us, there's a temptation to falter in our faith. Now God is super gracious with that. We don't have to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. But I want to encourage you, I want to offer you hope that right when you feel like you can't carry it anymore, God is already in the process of your deliverance. Jesus hasn't failed, it's just the evening of day three. So don't give up, don't lose hope. And notice what Jesus does, it's remarkable that Jesus doesn't go, hey, let me question your experiences here. Let me me challenge your disappointments and your doubts. What Jesus does instead is he answers their experiential doubts with intellectual information. Now this is an important part of the process because part of coming to know Jesus as Savior is experiential, but it's also based on true knowledge. And Jesus provides this basis in verse 27 where he says, uh, where it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus begins to interpret what we call the Old Testament, the time before Jesus, 
and says he, it says he interprets them concerning himself. This might be a light bulb moment for some of you. Everything in the Bible is designed to point us to a single person whose name is Jesus. And so Jesus begins to articulate, and, and, and they're starting to go, oh, I'd never thought of it that way, and oh, I'd never experienced that. And some of you, as you journey with Jesus, you're going to have those moments where you go, man, I've never realized that. I've never thought about it that way. And Jesus is informing the head so that the head can begin to inform the heart. One more time, Luke chapter 24. We're going to read these last few verses of the passage, beginning at verse 28. It says, so they drew near to the village to which they were going, And there Jesus acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is now far spent. So Jesus went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then Jesus vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now here we come to an important point in the story, because as Jesus is walking with them through their disappointments and their doubts, he essentially jukes them out, if I can use modern vernacular. It's, it's it really, I, I'm having trouble getting my mind around it, but Jesus is acting like he's going to do something that he doesn't actually intend to do. What Jesus wants is to continue walking with them. But what he does is he brings them to a point of decision. They come to a place where if they don't want to follow after Jesus anymore, he's going to make it really easy. But if there's just enough of a desire there's just enough of a hope that maybe what this stranger's saying is true. If there's in your life just enough of a fire lit that perhaps faith could be real, Jesus wants to bring you to a point of decision. And so he acts like he's going further, but they encourage him strongly to stay. The last surprising place we're going to look at today where Jesus finds us is in our decisions. I've come to believe that the ability to decide is one of the most important abilities or powers that humanity has. The ability to choose for ourselves. When I made the choice that I was going to marry this woman and not that one. I'm going to work this job and not another one that's on the table. I'm going to buy this house because it's the only one that's available and afford, well no no sorry. I'm going to buy this house because I like it better than the one down the street. When I choose, what I'm doing is I'm setting my intentions on something, and if I marry that with the commitment to follow through on it, I don't have to keep making the same decision. The moment I said I do to my wife, I didn't have to wake up every day deciding if I wanted a different one. She is mine until I die at the age of 112. That's the goal. (laughs) And she's young enough, uh, younger enough than me that we could possibly pull that off. See, there's a power in deciding, and, and the problem is some of you, you've kind of been walking with Jesus, and then he's kind of, you're, you're kind of drifting, and then you're kind of coming back, and, and again, there's grace for all of that, but I want to encourage you, Jesus wants more. Jesus wants to bring you to a place of decision where there's just enough in your heart to say, Jesus, I'm willing to trust you. 
I'm willing to walk with you in those ordinary everyday spaces of my life. Notice that the travelers did not yet recognize Jesus, but they made the decision still to invite him in based on what they'd heard. Another way I might say that is they weren't yet convinced, but they were curious. Are any of you just curious enough to go, I'm going to keep walking this a little bit. I'm going I'm to make that decision to trust in Jesus, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to see what happens if this thing could possibly be real. You may not have everything sorted out, and if you do, that's probably indication that you don't, so hang in there. But would you walk with us as we together walk with Jesus in the days ahead? One other question, I told you I was wrestling with this question earlier, but the other question I wrestled with as I was preparing this week is, what would have happened if those two travelers hadn't asked Jesus to stay? Like, would Jesus have kind of forced his way in the door anyway and said, no, 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 you've missed it, I'm, I'm staying, I'm not going anywhere. And what I believe, had they not asked him to stay, he would have kept walking. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. In other words, we have a choice whether or not we want to be in relationship with Jesus, whether we want to be with Jesus in our daily life. Now, it's not enough to simply believe that. A lot of people believe that Jesus died and was raised to life, and that's an important starting point. It's not even enough to believe that Jesus appeared to people on the pages of Scripture. What will really change your life, if you'll let it, is when you for the first time believe that Jesus wants to meet you, that Jesus wants to walk with you in your marriage, in your work, in your daily decisions, that the one who was raised to life on the third day wants to give you the same power in himself to live an overcoming life. If Jesus was still in the grave, he cannot walk with you. But we serve a risen Savior. And because he lives, we can put our trust in him. We can invite him to be with us as our Lord and Savior. In just a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to respond and again, we've prayed all week, and I have personally prayed very specifically that some of you would for the first time come to see, like those two travelers did, they saw that Jesus was alive. I pray that you would see that he loves you and that he wants to forgive you and restore you. And I've prayed that you would have just enough of a desire for him to be in your life in those ordinary spaces that you would invite him in. And so I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. We don't do it every Sunday, but I want to do it today. Where you're at, would you close your eyes or, or look down at your shoes or something that can help you to be not distracted? And in a space where not a lot of eyes are looking around, in fact, it should be only me and a few others, I want to give you a chance to respond. Maybe you came in with gut-wrenching and heartbreaking disappointments. Maybe you still, in this moment, wrestle with significant doubts and yet you feel what those two travelers felt something was burning within them something was indicating their, to their hearts that it's true that they could reach out and receive it and if that's you this morning I want to give you an opportunity to respond in this way right where you're at with no other eyes looking around if you're ready to open that door of your heart to Jesus would you just slip your hand up where we can see it We've got some folks, there's several going up. We've got folks with cards that are going to come around and put something in your hands. Keep those hands up where they can be seen, please. We want to take full advantage of the opportunity. 
And as our team is getting those cards passed out, uh, what you're going to do, those who are responding, you're just going to simply fill out on that card uh, your name and a way for us to contact you and just mark first-time decision for Jesus, that you're putting your confidence in Christ as your Savior and your Lord. And this week, someone from our team will follow up with you to have that conversation. I'm going to give you just another minute. If you still haven't but need to, put your hand up. I'd love to see it. Okay, if you've gotten the card, you can go ahead and slip your hand back down. Give it just another minute. We also have Portuguese, Spanish, English, so just indicate which one you need. And as you keep your hands up, if you haven't yet, I want to I pray for those who are responding as our cards continue to go out. Father in heaven, we pray. God, we pray in thanksgiving that you are a God who fulfills your promise. God, that you had in mind on the way to the cross and out of the tomb this very moment when a living Savior would once again show up on the road between point A and point B. And for all of those who are responding, God, we thank you in Jesus' name for the openness in their hearts. God, we pray that you would do exactly what you said you would, and we know that you will, that you would walk with them from every moment, this one going forward. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody look up at me for just another second. I want to invite you this coming Sunday. Would you come back to church and see what God's doing here at Horizon West Church? This isn't built on any one person, any one team, or any even group of thought or anything like that. We believe very simply that Jesus said, I will build my church. And just like the gates of hell weren't able to overcome him, the gates of hell won't overcome his church. And it's in that spirit we invite you back, and it's in that spirit team, would you lead us in a closing worship song? Thank you for being with us. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.